Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Absurdity. I'm here with Tony Anobili, and he is, I say here with, but he's across the country from me in another time zone this time. So we pretty much know uh, when your breaks are based on when you're at home. That's that's how we figure this out. that's kind of, it's... Well, I mean, I've I've said before, like home is a weird concept for me now because home is multiple places. Like this is my parents' house. I don't really have a room here anymore. You know, none of my stuff yeah. is here anymore. Um, but it's not Berrien Springs, but that's where my house is and my stuff is. It's not Chad anymore, but like I have people that I care about there, mm-hmm. and so it's like it's it's. It's Texas to a degree because of the people I care about. Like Chad in Texas, it's more because of the people, right? Arizona, it's because I kind of grew up here. My parents have a house here. I guess Maryland, I'd toss that in the mix because my dad works there now and my mom's kind of traveling there more. So, yeah, home is like a bunch of different places. But it's interesting because, like, on break, I always go back to Phoenix. So that's kind of like my break escape, which has been great for, like, when I lived in Texas, it was like, I'm going from humid, hot to dry, hot. But now it's like, oh, I'm going from cold to warm. So that's, it's a nice change of pace. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. I am always excited when you go home because I am always excited to figure out what unique sounds are going to find their way into oh, this my podcast gosh. from your family. So this one, it might be my great grandmother's birds. She has two, um, I don't know, lovebirds or something, the small little chirpy ones. They're not like oh, chickadees, I thought, but I I think they're called lovebirds or something. I I thought you I thought you were gonna say that she just kidnapped two southern students, but yeah, that no, <laughs> we just talking about <laughs> legitimate birds. Yeah, we okay, just cool. grabbed a couple of people out in front of uh, Thatcher Hall and just dragged them over here, stuck them in a cage. They're constantly <laughs> fighting, um, and then they make out, you know, every Tuesday night. Uh, but no, like yeah, she has a couple of birds, so they're twi- twittering in the background, um, and also chirping. So they're both yeah. on Twitter. And chirping at the same time. It's, it's pretty 
It's an, it's pretty incredible. These are some pretty talented Southern students. So <laughs> I love it. It's so, it's just been every time every time we go to record, it's always someplace crazy. So it's like first I was like, all right, well I'm going to record in the bedroom or, or uh, in the living room uh, because that's going to be quiet. Oh no, first was the dining room, and then my great grandmother decided to make a bunch of pots of pans, and then it was the living room, and something else went crazy. Like it's always something. Man, that's so frustrating. Well, I want to point out uh, that on the note of frustrating, the fact that right now I'm recording using my AirPods talking into my iPhone through Google Hangouts to you, but then recording through my actual microphone to a Zoom H6. And and then my notes are on an iPad, which my case broke last night because it fell off my bed. And so the iPad is kind of like like fake holding itself up. Like it's just kind of sitting against its own case right now in kickstand mode. Um, so oh Monday morning, gosh. so, okay, so listeners, so you understand, uh, I upload every Monday at noon, a new episode, and uh, last week we recorded late, uh, similar to how we're recording late this week, uh, so we recorded Sunday night, and I got the episode edited, but I didn't finalize it yet, and then I went to sleep, and finalizing means I do some final uh, volume leveling before I actually upload it, right, so... I go to sleep Monday night or Sunday night and Monday morning I wake up. Luckily I had uh, Monday off, but I wake up Monday morning and I notice my laptop's dead, but it had been plugged in all night and I was confused. So I get it started. I, I get it turned on and I notice it's at 6% battery. And my first thought is, uh Oh, this is the f- only place that this up ep- that today's episode is located. And I am at 6%. I don't have time to mess with this. And I frantically run across my apartment and find my external drive and like the fourth place I find it uh, or fourth place I look. And then I throw it in. I get the episode copied off and all the auxiliary files copied off. And then about two minutes later, my laptop dies. Luckily, I have a desktop computer, but it's in a very acoustically terrible place to record. So I can't record there because it's near my kitchen. But luckily, I can edit on that. That's where I used to edit everything. And so we were two minutes away from not having an absurdity episode uh, last week because now my computer is in the la- in is in the shop waiting for a part and it will be fixed hopefully this upcoming week when you're listening to this. So yeah, that was my Monday morning when I first woke up. <laughs> uh, very stressful. Yeah. Uh, oh Mondays! Oh, oh Mondays! Oh Mondays! They're just the best. Uh, They're man. just the best. Well, I will say this. I thank my impulsiveness because my first thought was the charger stopped working. And so I was like, well, I can just order a new one on Amazon and wait a couple days. But the right, inner yeah. the inner retail therapy, Ryan, said, no, you need it immediately. So I went to Walmart, bought a charger, didn't work. Turns out it wasn't even the right size. Went to Best Buy, bought a more expensive charger, and then found out that it, it, wor- it was the right fit, but it didn't work. And that's when I realized it was the laptop itself. So... Um, I would not have realized what the issue was for at least another two or three days had I been the patient Ryan and, and responsible Ryan. And I returned both the chargers, so I, lo- I kept all my money. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, that's been so that's been my experience this week with computer troubles. But at least I'm not having to drop another thousand dollars on a new laptop. So I will. Take oh, my the gosh. Yeah. No, that would be. Oh, boy. Even You know, what's crazy is I found just because of so many. I feel like millennials and Gen Z kids are, are just really starting out behind the eight ball because we start out with so much debt that it's like we would love to have the kind of stuff that our parents could afford to get, but we're just struggling because 
it's costing about you know what I mean? Like we can't drop a thousand dollars no on a new computer. Like I and mean the, we can, but it's like it it's it's so much harder for us. Yeah. Well, and the problem too is like with the kind of work I do, but a it's so necessary. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. The kind of work I do, a three hundred laptop dollar laptop doesn't cut it. I know it. I've tried several times. You have to no, go it, big it doesn't or yeah. go home. And so, but when five hundred dollars of my paycheck is gone immediately every month because of student loans, it's like where where am I supposed to actually yeah, exactly, save money yeah. here? So it's it is frustrating. Um, it's incredibly incredibly frustrating. So I'm really glad yeah. it's only going to be a hundred and thirty dollar fix, uh, which is much much better of an alternative. It's still high, but yeah. it's not as high. So I'll take the much win more. Yeah, it's much it. more. Yeah, absolutely. So. As we uh, get into today's topic, which is a hot button issue, this is one of our reactionary episodes. Um, uh, Just a couple things. First of all, if you haven't been to our Patreon, it is the place to go if you want bonus episodes, bonus content, as well as ad-free episodes. So patreon.com slash absurditypodcast. You can create an account. Uh, Sign up for a donation tier. Anything past $5, $5 or more gets you a bonus episode every month, at least one. And uh, any tier level gets you bonus or, or ad-free episodes. So uh, head on over there. It's a recurring donation. You can set it and forget it. Um, you can. It also sets up a private RSS link that it should email you upon sign up. So you can plug that into iTunes or Apple, what you know, Apple Podcasts or whatever you use, and you can get a private RSS feed of the ad-free episodes, and it'll list just like any other podcasts in your app. So. Um, go check that out as well as facebook.com slash absurdity podcast as we've been doing some more listener interactions there uh, and getting listener suggestions and things like that from Facebook, from Instagram, all that good stuff. So facebook.com slash absurdity podcast. Cool. So Tony, uh, let's talk about uh, a mass shooting that didn't happen in America, (laughs) Uh, which is a shocker in and of itself. Uh, that it did not happen. It almost in seems weird. Yeah, doesn't it? It was like when the. It was like the one that happened in I think Denmark or Norway a few years ago, and it was like weird. It almost felt like oh, that's we do that. That's our thing, in a weird sort of like non patriotic, non proud way. Like oh, okay, cool. Um, not cool. You know, it was just like, stra- oh, it's just dang. kind of strange. It's and like, what, oh, right. I don't this know. happens. It's, elsewhere. it's one of those tragedies that you see that. Yeah, it it almost does. Yeah, it almost doesn't feel I, I think, you know, we could get into so many of the topics, but just that first initial feeling of a shooter, you know, kills another 49. I didn't even realize it was in Christchurch at first. Like, I, yeah. I really didn't. I was just like, oh, where's Florida? You know, Idaho. Where where is it? Is it someplace new? Is it someplace again? Like that, my first initial reaction was just like, okay, where, where in the states, California, you know, and then I found out it was New Zealand, and I was I, like, I couldn't wrap my head around that for a while. It took me a little bit to finally come to terms with it. Yeah, I actually need to reach out to the Burn the Haystack guys, Jesse and Josh, and see how they've kind of responded to this with their churches. Uh, well, I know Josh just moved, but Jesse uh, specifically is still out there. Uh, or I don't know how close. I don't know the geography of New Zealand. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to know where they are on that, you know, in that spectrum or, or, or ge- geographically, but, 
Um, I, you know, it was really cool to see the outpouring of support from other communities, the Jewish community, especially shutting down uh, Sabbath services, Shabbat services for the first time in their history uh, in uh, to honor and pay respect to Muslims. And I like that's just incredible to me to see that kind of outpouring of support, uh, not just I mean, from an entire denomination. So or not denomination, but an entire uh, religious group. So that's just crazy to me. But this was and this is terrible. A guy goes into two different mosques, shoots, uh, kills 40. I think the death toll actually hit 50. Uh, and I remember I was reading an article just earlier today from The New York Times uh, that was published Saturday that said, uh, yeah, 34 victims of the shootings remain in Christchurch Hospital, 12 of them in critical condition. Um, and then uh, a four-year-old girl also remains in critical condition at a children's hospital in Auckland where she was flown after the attack. And that's just crazy to me because uh, I, I've talked about this with um, I've talked about this with LGBTQ+. Right. And I talked about this with the Pulse shooting that the Pulse nightclub for LGBT or, or gay nightclubs in general for LGBTQIA plus people are is kind of like church to them. Right. That's the place they can go in and know there are others like them there. And so it's safe for them. And so a shooting that happens at the Pulse nightclub is like um, is destroying what's safe for them. Now, this literally is church. <laughs> For Muslims, and they've walked it. Yeah, walked safe, in safe and, place. Yeah, yeah, it's the safe place, and it's no longer safe. And it, like that's just. Uh, I I actually remember pastoring in South Carolina. You know, a couple years after what's his name uh, shot up a church in in South Carolina. I'm glad I cannot remember his name right now for obvious. The reason. white supremacist kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, really glad that I can't remember his name because I don't want to. I'm, we're not going to mention the Christchurch shooter's name on this podcast. I I, um, I don't know him. I've uh, literally. This yeah. is how. This is how different, and dare I say, amazing New Zealand and Australian news has been. Media has been on this. Now, granted, they're a lot more censored than American. Anything British is a lot more censored, but, um, or I guess controlled is a better word for that. But they have not released his name. Like no, I haven't. Have, I've I, been looking no, on someone, Twitter. I, well, I. Saw, I, I I guess they have technically, but I have not seen it on Twitter. I have not oh, seen it on impressive. the major news stories. Yeah. Like it is. That's it, impressive. I, I would have to search for it. And I'm not going to because it's the same thing. I don't want to give them any credit. I don't want to give them any life. I want anyone who listens to this stuff to know we're not talking about you. You are. You don't matter. Um, yeah. You don't Jesus get the loves win. you, <laughs> but you don't get. Yeah. You don't get. I'm not going to give you a platform. Um, it and is. that's about it. You it, made it, you made your choice, and and you don't get you don't get fame. So I think that's the big thing. I think anytime we have that, where like someone wants to talk about that kind of stuff, I'm like, I just ignore it. But it's the same thing. Um, by the way, the guy the guy from I know the name of the guy from South Carolina, but that's not the point. I remembered his um, name, and I'm not going to say it. <laughs> yeah, but that's the that's the thing is like is we're not supposed to. And I'm sure being in South Carolina a couple years after he talked about that, like that was a historically black church and that had to just have been insane. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And and man, I I really struggle with this. I just preached on this a week ago. Literally I, I talked about that I preached at a live youth rally in Spartanburg, South Carolina last week and and my second sermon of the day uh talked about valuing others and I preached from the story of the Good Samaritan. 
And I preached that the point of the Good Samaritan was not to encourage you to do do something good for someone who uh, is a victim, right? Is not to do something good for just do something good for the man who fell among robbers, but it was to teach the Jewish lawyer that the Samaritan, the person that he thought could do no right, the person that he hated with everything in him, the person that his culture and his religion had taught him to hate, uh, this is the person that's the hero of the story, right? The and and when right, yeah. when when Jesus goes, who was the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Uh, the the lawyer responds, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. Like he couldn't bring it in himself to admit that the Samaritan did something good. A, any Samaritan did something good. And I preached from up there, and I said, you know, right now, and I it, like as yeah. far as points proven are could go. This this. Uh, this happened pretty apt, pretty right on time for 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 my point to kind of hit home. Uh, I said that there are two groups right now that fit the Samaritan category as far as broad strokes Christianity is concerned. It's the LGBTQIA+, and it's Muslims. Those are the two groups uh, that if you were to rewrite, if you were to retell this story today, you could place either of you know a gay person, uh, a lesbian, a transgender, or a Muslim. Uh, saw a man who fell among robbers and helped him and brought him to an inn and paid for his night's stay and all other expenses. Uh, like, that's the point of that story. That's how visceral that story is. It's it's like that video of the Boston drag queen Elsa pushing the cop car out of the snow. Like Oh, yes. But, but way more intense. But I, I saw that, and that's immediately what I thought of was the product of the sun. Like, all these normal people are in, you know, this restaurant watching the police struggle, and then it's the drag queen who goes out, you know what I mean, and and yeah. pushes this car, and it's like, yeah, the person that you consider to be, you know, unmanly, or, or you know what I mean, that stereotype, and all of a sudden they go out and do, you know, this hard thing. It's like, that's so awesome. But it's that same idea of that's exactly, that's exactly what that story is trying to intend. Who's the person that you hate the most and despise the most? They're the ones that's doing that, you know, for, for, um, you know, people who live along the border, shall we say, oh, it's the Mexican immigrant who came along and, and saw this man beaten and took, you know, and gave to them. And and that's the person, um, you know, in the 1880s and during Reconstruction, it would be the former slave. You know, you could you can insert whatever person in that story. It's that idea of the person that I despise. And that's yeah. the person who does it. And the best part about that, and we don't get this from actual scripture, so I'm, I'm very hesitant, but I love the fact that Ellen White, if, if you believe that she really is a prophet, um, she says that the people who were in that story were in the room with Jesus. And I, I think that's such a cool concept if it's true. I love that, that this is a real story and those people were really there. Like that, that to me is such a great, that it's not just a metaphor, like this really did happen. And you know, at some point that did actually, you know, something similar to that had to have happened. But yeah. it's that concept of like, it's, this isn't just a metaphor for how life can be. This isn't just, you know, Martin Luther King kind of dreaming of a future. Like this is something that actually happened. And Jesus is saying, see, this is happening in society right now. Pull your head out of wherever it is and actually go, you know, be... Yeah the light to the world you're supposed to be because well, you're supposed to be the one doing this. It's worth pointing out that that story isn't just like, it's the person you despise. It's the person you have a bias against period. You may not oh, yeah. openly say, I hate this person or I hate this group of people, but it's the people you have a bias against. That's, yeah, it's that's the, where the it's problem the, is. You know, I, I grew up in the suburbs 
Well, I grew up in L.A., but I spent my high school years in the suburbs of Phoenix, and it's very, very white here. So in my head, um, you know, for the people that live in this area, it's it's the the do-ragged up, pants hanging low, you know, super black gangster. He's the one that's sitting there helping, you know, the old lady cross the street. And it's, and they, you know, the people, some of the people that I grew up with wouldn't be able to handle that. You know, they wouldn't be able to even comprehend that he could do this nice thing because it's supposed to be this tough, evil person that steals your money. And, and it's like, no, no, that's the person that you even have a, you know, just that bias against. They're the the hero of that story. And I think it's so true, especially for the greater, I don't want to say evangelical community because that lumps, you know, good people in with that, but the, the certain brand of cultural Christian, cultural Christianity that we have right now, um, particularly in the Bible belt region, but not exclusively to it. Um, yeah, they would absolutely, it's, it's LGBTQ plus community, uh, the queer community and, and Muslims and, not just Muslims, but like really hijabi any wearing middle, yeah, any, Muslims. Because there are a lot of Muslims East. that we, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, and I, yeah. and I was recently talking about, uh, I think it's Matthew 25, where Jesus is talk, telling his disciples about how the end of days will happen or will come. And, um, and he says, you know, whatever you have done for the least of these, I say you've done for me. So he separates the sheep from the goats, puts the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And he says to the sheep, you... Uh, you know, you. I was a stranger, and you let me in. I was naked, and you gave me clothes. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was a prisoner, and you came and visited me, right? And then he says the opposite to the goats. He says, get away from me because I was those things, and you didn't do any of that for me. And uh, one of the misconceptions about that text is that the least of these are only the least of these because we we kind of feel sorry for them, that they're in this poor state of need or socio, poor socioeconomic status, right? They're of a lower caste system than us. But if that was true, then let's talk about the, I was a prisoner and you came and visited me. Because now granted, people go to prison who don't deserve it, but there are people who are in prison who very much deserve it. And Jesus is identifying with the, with the group of people that are in prison, potentially because they deserve it. And he's saying, you were like me because you went and visited the guy that you, that, that deserved to be there, that deserved, that was being punished and facing the consequences of his actions. These aren't people that are the least of these because of socioeconomic status. They're the least of these because of the people that we don't want to love, right? They're the people that we don't want to do anything nice for. They're the people that we would be actively inconvenienced by loving. And that's where he says, no, the people, you loved me because you loved when it was inconvenient to love, and you loved the people that you originally did not want to love or looked down on. And that's a much, that's a major shift away. Uh, it's not, it's not loving out of pity. Instead, it's loving out of, actually, it's loving out of self-denial is what it is. You're denying that you didn't want here, you know, you're denying that you didn't want to love them, and you're saying, no, I'm going to love them despite how I might feel toward them. And so it's and and I'm going to respect them and honor them because Jesus loves them the same that He loves me, and that's just like it's a total different way of shift. This isn't about socioeconomic status. This is about loving people uh, who you have a bias against, who you have who you might take personal issue with, uh, and and the Muslim community has been at the forefront of that since 
well, honestly, since before 9-11, but let's just talk about 9-11 because we're in a post-9-11 world and there's an entire generation that was basically an entire generation that was born after 9-11. They have no concept of a pre-war, pre-9-11 yeah. life. They're, they're, they're freshmen. Kids born that year are freshmen in college now. Yeah, that's nuts to me. Like, um, as I as I'm, you know, admitting or not admitting people into college, but as I'm working with potential uh, prospects and students that are wanting to come to Southern, it's just crazy uh, to see the, the that age and to realize, like, yeah, some of these kids did not uh, grow up in any sort of world before Muslims were deemed or or Middle Eastern people in general were kind of deemed the enemy. And I actually, I remember, yeah. Go ahead. No, yeah, go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. Oh, I was. I remember when. I remember when the the evil that was affecting the world were black gangsters. I remember the the same fear that was given to uh, Muslims were were black gangsters and crack dealers. Um, that you know, gangster violence and uh, you know, gangster rappers that they were the scourge that was going to destroy America. Um, I remember that. I remember that. I remember that same fear. And then I remember all of a sudden, yes, but the focus shifted from them. Like Jay-Z was all of a sudden a mogul and no one was kind of talking about it. And it became, you know, oh, well, it's these Muslim extremists. They're the ones that are really destroying America. They're the ones that are, you know, they attacked us and so we hate them. And... Uh, but but I remember that. I mean, I remember yeah. TV shows and movie. It's like, oh yeah, it's 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 coke. You know, it's the coke dealers. It's these it's these, you know, oh the the Timberland wearing like, and it was the stereotype. It was totally a stereotype. Um, but it was this thing that the the fear and rage was focused on, and in a blink of an eye, that shifted, that completely shifted over, and. It's not like people forgot, but that was no longer the focal point. And it truly it truly amazes me. I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't just I mean, we were attacked. And whether or not there's a conspiracy, I'm not I'm not gonna buy into conspiracy theories or not. They took credit for it. So even if they didn't do it, they were like, Oh no, we're cool with that. So that's not cool either, right? Like yeah. that's that's almost worse. But the point is that they were fully willing and they, and they very much did not like America. And there's again, all political reasons for that. But the reality is that they have been the focal point for this hatred, for this rage, for this, you are my enemy, this mentality. Well, and And that, and I really did think that was starting to go away, especially after bin Laden was killed and I mean, it just it just flared back up. Well, I don't think it was ever going to go away. And here's why, actually. Uh, the recent string of movies over the last and I love war movies. Don't get me wrong. Like I love tactics and strategies. So when I say I love war movies, it's not that I love the war itself. I just love the discipline, the, the, the kind of clinical precision that that like troops will carry out as they like raid a building or something, you know, like I just am totally, I love strategy and things like that. Well, um, you see this recent string of movies where no, I don't care if they're telling a true story or not. Uh, movies like, uh, what was American sniper or, um, uh, what's the one with, um, 
Oh my word! Thirteen I'm, hours. Yeah, thirteen hours. Yeah, Zero thirteen Dark hours. Uh, uh, Lone Survivor. Mark, yeah, Lone Survivor. That's the one. Yeah. Uh, movies like that, where Lone Survivor has some of my favorite cinematography of all time in it. Um, some of those beautiful scenes in it, like literally from a camera standpoint, from a cinematography standpoint. But in those movies, whenever you see a Middle Eastern person on screen, it's basically like that's the enemy. That's the unnamed enemy. And it's this kind of training over time. It's propaganda whether you like it or not. Because what it does is it trains you to see uh, any brown person, any, any Middle Eastern person as the enemy on site. That's what it trains you to see. I mean, back in 2013, I'm working at a summer camp. I have this long beard that's, you know, that, that, that goes down past any collar, past any, you know, it's a few inches long. And uh, this, uh, this kid that I had known for years prior to, uh, prior to me having a beard uh, sees me now with a beard. He hasn't seen me in a couple of years. He's 11 now. And he comes up to me uh, after, after about a week of hanging out around and working this event together in Arizona. He comes up to me and he goes, oh, you're Ryan. And I was like, yeah, who did you think I was? And he's like, I'm not going to lie. When I first saw you, uh, I thought you were a terrorist. That's the word he used, just so we're clear. He thought a terrorist was walking around camp meeting in Arizona doing Jesus stuff. He's, he was 11 in 2013, born after 9-11. And his first frame of reference for guy with a big beard was t- Muslim extremist as an 11-year-old. Or you look at oh, when I pastored and I, was, and I was talking with members and they saw me with a big beard. Like this was, this was a regular occurrence that people of all ages would see me and they thought terrorist first. It's a wonder that uh well no it's not a wonder i didn't actually take any flights during the time that i had a gigantic beard but had i man i wonder what the outcome would have been uh if i would have been randomly searched because the amount of people that their first word upon seeing me their first word association was terrorist or muslim extreme i thought you were one of them muslims i got that a lot too that's just insane to me and i and i wish it had dawned on me earlier that i could have called it out back then but it really didn't click until recently that that was really what was happening there. And we've trained ourselves to uh, to basically just see a big beard, see a hijab, see any sort of headdress, see any sort of robe wearing, see any of that and think terrorist, think Muslim extremist, think the enemy. You know, it's, it's funny to me. I mean, it's not funny, I guess. I can't imagine a world where we see Germans and Japanese as our enemies. I grew up with a bunch of German people. I grew up around a bunch of Japanese people growing up in LA. And I never understood when I looked at um, movies about World War II, when I looked at shows or newsreels or read books about it, just how, how hateful they were. Like, how can you put people in concentration camps and think that that's okay? And now I realize, like, oh, there were the, you know what I mean? Like, after, especially after seeing recently, um, with all the illegal immigrants uh, being put herded into cages again, I mean, it's just one of those things of like, <laughs> I I can't believe we're doing this. But you understand why this there's this frenzy that people get whipped into, um, which statistics do not prove. Like the amount of Japanese spies that were in insula I'm sure there were Japanese spies. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure there were German spies. Uh, but you, the, the, the amount that they actually got was negligible. Like they really weren't going to be, they really weren't uh, that many. 
according to the statistics that we now see. Same thing with what's going on right now with Muslims and and you know, it's it the fear is beyond what the statistics are showing, but they whip them into this frenzy. And I get it now. I'm like, oh, that's how you can you can allow these atrocities to happen to an entire group of people because you view them as the enemy. Anybody with, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the flap, the eye flap, you know, anybody with Asian looking eyes or almond looking eyes, um, anybody who, who appears Asian immediately becomes the enemy, whether or not they're Japanese, whether, you know, you, oh, those Asians, you know, um, and then and the same thing, anybody with a German sounding last name, more so World War One. I, I think World War Two people were kind of over that, but definitely in World War One, and it happened to a degree in World War Two, especially on the East Coast. If you had a German name, you know, people were changing it from, you know, von Braun to Brown or, you know, different things like that, um, you know, Schmidt to Smith. And and that that was a real thing. And I didn't understand it until I began to see, oh, this is how we treat Muslim Americans nine like. 80% of all Muslims are Sunnis and Sunnis for the most part, the majority of them are peace loving people. They are not extremists. And that's the majority of Muslims around the world. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I wish I could say that amount of Christians around the world weren't violent, but uh, we can't say that anymore. Unfortunately, We can't say that. Um, I mean, that's just the reality is, is like, anyway, so it's one of those things where I, I look and see how this, this, this frenzy has been whipped up and I've always been one to think, you know, we need to be very careful who we decide to point fingers at and think this is the enemy Mm -hmm. because if we claim to be Christian and, and I'm not. I'm not targeting any one denomination here. I'm saying if you claim to be a follower of Christ, whether whether that's through the Mormon understanding of it, whether that's through the Catholic understanding of it, whether it's through a non-denominational or Nazarene or Baptist or, you know, mainstream evangelical or, um, you know, reformed, mainland reformed, anything, wherever you, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, whether or not you believe he was a good teacher or the son of God or one of a God, if you actually read his teachings and follow his teachings, he says over and over and over, love your enemies. Mm. The book of John is literally just Jesus saying over and over, yeah, you need to love people. Now you need to love people. You really need to love people. No, let me, let me get this straight. You need to love people. You did really I, did, to, I, did book, I stutter? Nowhere. Yeah. Nowhere in John does it actually say repent. This was crazy. I was taking, I'm taking a Greek class right now and our professor was talking about this. He goes, if you look at Matthew, Matthew's all about repent. Matthew's all about repenting. Nowhere does that appear in John. John is all about transforming your life and loving people, right? Because with John, he's rescuing you from a world that has hurt you. John is saying bad things were done to you. And now you have a, a, a place of escape in Jesus Christ. But that means you need to take that love and bounce that back to the world and reflect that back to the world out around you. Love others as I have loved you, right? Not because, you know, Matthew, it's all forgive or you won't be forgiven, right? John is love because I already have loved you. Because I've loved you. Now you need to go and love people. It's not enough to just take this and harbor it yourself. 
and I just question at the end, you know, someone brought this up again on Twitter. If you were brought to trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to actually put you away? Not whether or not you proclaim yourself to be a Christian, but if they actually took the Bible and they went through what Jesus actually believed, would they be able to convict you? Would there be enough evidence by the way you lived your life, by the the language that you used, by the rhetoric that you stood by? And it just amazes me as we look at this. I don't necessarily, you know, it's funny to me watching how some New Zealanders react because I don't believe or not believe, I don't understand the the dynamic behind the haka dance. For those of you who don't know, the Maori warriors do a very loud, um, passionate uh, type of dance. Um, and it's a pre-battle one. They use it to kind of build themselves up and to intimidate the enemy, but it's become kind of a spiritual thing. And I don't know enough about the background, but I have seen at least five different hakas done um, for and in solidarity with the Muslim community there. And it amazes me because you have these big, massive, strong men shouting and yelling and and making these faces and then crying afterwards. They're so full of emotion um, because it is so important for them to know that we as a community are here to protect you, and which is why they're doing it, right? We are doing this to intimidate your enemies because you are with us and we are standing with you. And to me, you know, I don't understand the background behind it. I don't understand it. It doesn't kind of makes sense to me, but I love the fact they're doing it. I love the fact that that's how they're standing. And I look and I think they are sending a message to the world publicly. We are standing behind our people. Where's the Christian Hakka? And I'm not saying those guys aren't Christian, right? That's just a, it's a, it's a cultural thing, right? Not a, not a religious thing, but I'm saying, where's our Christian Hakka? Right, the Jews shut down the synagogues. Uh, you have the 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 prime minister wearing a hijab. Where are the Christians? Why are we not the ones out on the front lines saying we will stand? We will. And you have individuals doing, it, I'm sure, but why are our churches yeah. not the first one to do that? When well, and- we have been commanded to do that, they're not by their own code. I mean, I guess again, I don't know the background behind. Want to? I want to study Maori culture a little bit more to understand this, but they're not called to necessarily have to do the haka for this, right? They're not called to take that stand as warriors, but they say, we will now protect you. And so we do this. And Christians are, we are commanded if we, if we are following Christ, we're commanded to do that, but we're not. Well, and I think there is, there is a double-edged sword to that too, because the other half of this is, and it's, it is in Matthew, I guess, but you know, don't let your right hand know what the left is doing. And right. Yeah. um, There is, there is a side of, there is a side of this that is like you won't always hear about the good things because we we're not supposed to do them in order to draw attention to ourselves. And so I think there always needs to be some sort of assumption that there that there are Christians that are out there doing something good. That assumption should not hold you hold you back from action, right? It's not an excuse to not take action. If anything, right? Of course, it yeah, should yeah, be yeah. a motivate. Yeah, you know, you shouldn't be like, oh, well, someone's doing something about it. I don't need to, you know, don't bystander affect yourself out of yeah, positive action. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I, you know, I think, but I think. I think as an organization, though, I think we can, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, here's, here's my thing. And, and this is where I think I'm, I'm starting to kind of get to the, the heart of this. Uh, I, I feel like I'm starting to get a little bit more understanding of this. If you've 
uh, listen to the podcast Caliphate. They actually track with a Canadian man who ended up joining uh, ISIS and then ended up leaving ISIS at one point. And they get a good conversation with him and and understanding how he joined, how he found out about them through the internet, things like that. Um, and and what I find what I find so interesting is the um, how do I want to say this the recruiting efforts, the way that people are recruited into these hate groups. And you know what's scary? The way they're inter- they're, the way that people are recruited into these hate groups is not so different from the way that Christianity does evangelism. Like it's actually pretty darn similar. It begins by it begins by giving people a welcoming community. If you find if you listen to Caliphate or you listen to or you read the stories of people, even non-Muslims, non-Middle Eastern people in general, just um, yeah, who, yeah, they these were people who had no friends in real life. Some of them, not all of them, but these were a lot of people that had no friends, felt like an outcast in their own family, uh, felt like they weren't uh, accepted anywhere. They find community on the internet, which a people, lot of us have found on the fringe on the internet. Yeah, people on the fringe, they found community on the internet, they found acceptance on the internet, and once they found acceptance, those people then started sending them other links, they started talking to them about other things, and well, these are your friends now. You want to stay friends with them. You want to belong to this community and do what this community is doing, because if they're treating you right, they must be doing something right. And this is is how the slow process of indoctrination happens. Um, Not just that, but... Uh, you see this even with uh, the repetition that uh, you'll start to see hate groups use, like white nationalists. So I was reading, uh, and I want to thank a friend of mine in real life for for showing me this link. He doesn't realize he showed me this link because he posted it elsewhere. But um, he, uh, if he ever listens to this, he'll know exactly. But it's it's from a Huffington Post article uh, who they may, they managed to get a hold of the guides, the style guide for the Daily Stormer. The Daily Stormer is a white nationalist. Um, blog and article site, basically. Uh, and that's news that's com- not news that's not us accusing site. them. No. That's their own. Yeah, they have admitted they're publicly. Yeah, this, they're very proud of that fact. So in in this Huffington Post article, I'll put it in the show notes for you. Uh, it does talk about uh, these are direct quotes from the the guy who runs the Daily Stormer. I forget his name right now. Um, but you can see different different parts of this where he says, you know, all enemies should be combined into one enemy, the Jews, um, because people will become confused and disheartened if they feel there are multiple enemies. So we should always scapegoat the Jews, just blame them for literally everything. They are the beginning and end of every problem. Um, he talks about uh, the goal is to continually repeat the same points over and over and over and over again. The reader is at first drawn in by curiosity or the naughty humor and is slowly awakened to reality by repeatedly reading these same points. We are able to keep these points fresh by applying them to current events. The basic propaganda doctrine of this site is based on Hitler's doctrine of war propaganda outlined in Mein Kampf, Volume 1, Chapter 6. So you see, like, these are these are, like, legitimate tactics, but but listen to this. Very, like, check this out. Uh... The tone of this site should be light. Most people are not comfortable. If you don't know, hold on, before I finish this quote, if you don't know what a style guide is, it's the guide that they send to writers who are thinking about contributing to the site. This is what tells you how to write, what words to use, what the formatting should be, all that good stuff. It, it's an instruction. Bas- basically, manual. the, yeah, yeah, the manual for how things should go if you want to get accepted here. So you say, most people are not comfortable with material that comes across as vitriolic, raging, or non-ironic hatred. The unindoctrinated should not be able to tell if we are joking or not. This is scary. 
There should also be a conscious awareness of mocking stereotypes of hateful racists. I usually think of this as self-deprecating humor. I am a racist making fun of stereotype of racists because I don't take myself super seriously. Now listen to this next part. I'm going to edit one word because I don't want to say it out loud. But uh, this is obviously a ploy, and I actually do want to gas Jews. That's not the word he used there, but gas Jews. But that's neither here nor there. They should not be able to tell if we're kidding or not. In other words, the, 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 the words that they use as they're indoctrinating you should make you go, that's so outrageous, like there's no way they mean that. But they do, and that's the point. So it's, it's, it's a loving acceptance that, that people on the outside or people that feel, uh, whether it's you know with the Gillette ad, people who feel attacked, their masculinity is attacked, or uh, the white guilt complex where uh, white people are feeling, uh, some white people are starting to feel victimized by society because of the acts of a few, things like that, right? You capitalize on the disenfranchisement, the, whether it's self-disenfranchisement or systemic disenfranchisement. You capitalize on disenfranchisement. You love people. They, you say, you're welcome here if you're not welcome there. And then you slowly well, I, show them your way of thinking. I don't think you love them. I think you can't really, well, in no, that okay. sense, truly you, love them. I you think know what you I mean. show them attention. You know but what I think I mean. it's important to say that you you show them attention because love you, is you make out, them... love is outward. You make them feel special. But I think that's the key is that we need to, you know, that's the difference between Christianity and these groups is that Christianity is called to actually love and we can't even show them special attention. And instead, all we're doing is showing special attention, right? Which is why it's so similar. Like Christianity is called to truly find someone where they're at and love them, which, which like you're saying, requires me to self-deny. And, and these groups don't self-deny. They just show you special attention. And that's the point. It's like, oh, there's something bigger than you. Like you can be, you can be a star. And, but, but it's so important to have that distinction because we need to, because that's the difference. People will see the difference if they actually see love. It is so scary because they're not coming out crazy, burning crosses and all that. They realize the normal quote unquote person, the medium line person, the, the person who thinks of themselves as a swing voter or a good person, they're not going to go and, and go to a lynching anymore. Right. On their own right away. But you know what? I, I, I don't, Maybe, maybe the Holocaust didn't happen. I don't know. Gary doesn't think so. And Gary's my friend. Well, it's right? the normalization. It's the slow normalization it's, it's, it's of all exactly of that. what it is. Like, oh, those Jews. And, and just that little phrase, right? And to me, I think that's why it's so important for me personally that I don't say the N-word. Um, is that same exact thing. Is, is not that because I don't want to give it more power than it has. I believe that if you remove the power from any word, you can you can take it away, but because I don't want to get normalized, I don't want to think of it. I don't want it to even come in my brain. And when it does come in my brain, I want it to be such something that I don't even want to touch. Right, personally, not because of, I don't want to give it power, but because I want to remove all the power from it by not even mentioning it, by by removing it. Because normalization happens, and it really does. You just become numb to it because you become so used to it. 
Um, and the same thing with that hate, like that hate just because you, you get used to that prickly hate feeling of just like, ugh, you know, rolling your eyes and, ugh, these brown, you know, ugh, typical Muslim, right? And, and again, like you're saying, it be, they become the enemy, right? Every movie, oh, that's the enemy. That's the enemy. That's the enemy. And it's like, okay, but Jesus, even if that's true, which it might, I mean, I would argue most most Muslims are not my enemy or our enemy as a people, uh, as a nation. But let's say there are. Let's say they are. Well, what does Jesus Christ call us to do? If we are a quote-unquote Christian nation, well, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I haven't seen a whole lot of prayer vigils from Texas for ISIS. I was going to say, I don't recall ever being in a prayer meeting or anyone right. even uttering a prayer request for Osama bin Laden after 9-11. I see, I see a whole lot of pastors talking about, oh, I'm going to burn a Koran, but I don't hear anybody. And I'm not, to say, I'm not saying that it's not there. I'm saying if the voices that are so loud and the ones that get special attention are the ones that are saying, yeah, we need to keep the brown people out and screw those Muslims. If that's what they're saying and not, you know, we need to pray for these people because they clearly need Jesus, right? They need the love that Christ has in their hearts. Then why, how can you call yourself a Christian nation? I don't, I don't, you can't. To me, you can't yeah. unless you're actually going to like live the way Christ did. Cause he said, pray for those who persecute you. I'm telling you, yeah. you have heard an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I've told you something different. And, and I love in that section because Jesus isn't saying, oh, an eye for a tooth or tooth, that was wrong. He's like, no, that's fair. That is fair, right? And that's, the, that's, that's a good, just way to keep the world safe. And I, you steal stuff from me, you get 15 years without any personal belongings, right, in a giant concrete building. That's how that works. Mm -hmm. But Jesus well, is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to love the person that is coming after you, not just the one that you don't necessarily like, but the one that is coming after you. That's the person that I want you to love. That's how crazy radical Christianity is supposed to be. I think uh, th there's another side to this too. I, I will, I, I want to be self-reflective here too. In the entire time that I was pastoring, uh, you know, where it was my call, uh, it's not necessarily solo my call anymore where I currently am, but in the time that I was pastoring, I never led a prayer vigil like that either. And yeah, so let no, me, I'm let part me of the be problem. fair. Yeah. yeah let me, let, we're, we're, let's be fair. That, that's a self burn uh, as well. So this is, this is consider this me, uh, uh, you know, confessing that, um, and turning from that. And, and I want, I do want to make it a point to pray for my enemies in that, in that sense. Um, I think this is something that, that God has been kind of putting on my heart, uh, as of late. So I just wanted to be fair there. Uh, cause there is someone who probably go, Oh, why, you know, uh, you accuse us, but not you, uh, no, it's us too. Uh, we've we've yep. played into this for sure. Yep, and, it's us. Um, you know, I think the other thing is the reason I brought up the Daily Stormer is those were words that I could quote uh, from someone on the inside of a white nationalist you know group or someone who claims that uh, it was a it was a point on point or point by point example that I could directly quote of what that strategy looks like. Uh, though this episode isn't about Jews, so just so we have clarification on that. Um, but I think but it, it follows that, that basic theme of this is our enemy, right? Yeah, like yeah, that's no, no, the yeah, mentality exactly, exactly. that 
that cause you know this issue is no it's those those people are our enemy yeah all the you know if you pray on a friday you know and you wear a headdress yep that that person that's your enemy i need to find the there's an article the other day too where i saw a um this is going to be multi-pronged so i'm going to lay out a couple points here and then wrap it together uh so just let me lay this out real quick and it'll make sense uh read an article the other day and I, I believe it was an airstrike in the Middle East that took out 40 civilians, including a uh, it, it was it was in a small village in the Middle East, took out 40 civilians, including the village's lone doctor. The only medical personnel in the entire village died in this airstrike to kill one terrorist. And I remember reading the actually after I read it, I read some of the comments on it, too. And one of the comments said, wow. Uh, all this to kill one terrorist, and he just created a village more. Um, it, it it is interesting to me to watch how uh, repaying injustice within with, with with injustice doesn't work. We've we've launched a basically a twenty year war on um, on the Middle East over nine eleven, where we lost three thousand American lives, and you can talk about death tolls being up in the forty thousand. 40,000, 50,000 range for civilians in the Middle East. And we just go, yeah, because that's justice to the 3,000 lives we lost here. Just in sheer numbers, that's ridiculous. Like, just in sheer numbers alone. And I remember sitting at one project a few years ago, a couple years ago, actually, in Atlanta, and Sam Lenore was talking, and he talked about the cycle of evil. And he talked about the fact that uh, for evil to stop... For injustice to stop, there must be someone that is willing to absorb the evil. There must be someone willing to absorb the injustice. In other words, someone has to take a stand and say, I'm going to stop repaying evil for evil. Um, The more that we try and repay evil for evil, the more we just exacerbate the problem. We create more enemies by uh, by the collateral damage of our hatred and our revenge. And I get defending your country. Don't get me wrong. I'm not attacking patriotism or I'm not attacking uh, this idea that, that the country can defend itself. I'm not saying we you know let down all borders and just let people walk all over us. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is we don't match injustice with injustice because that just creates more injustice. Um, you know, an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. It literally is that idea, just in more complicated language. Uh, but this includes our la- this includes our language. This includes how we treat people and how we love people. And if I don't accept that I can be a part of that cycle of evil because of my rhetoric, because of the way that I refer to a people group or a social group or a religious group or a nation, right? If if I am not aware of how my words and actions can play into the uh the injustice that happens to other people then there's a problem <laughs> it's the uh it's it's kind of the idea here's the last point i'll lay out here as, as i wrap this this little piece up uh it's this idea of when you're in when you're when you're in traffic and you text some, you know you text someone because that's what people do and when they're in traffic and they go or they're on the phone and they'll say oh i'm stuck in traffic no 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 you're not stuck in traffic you are traffic and the second you realize that you are a part of the thing that you're in right? As soon as you realize that you're a part of it, then you start to look for ways to be the solution. But because everyone thinks they're stuck in traffic, what they see, what you see is everyone trying to cut into other lanes to get themselves out of it as fast as possible. And they just make traffic worse for everyone else, including themselves. But if everyone would, would, um, 
would stay steady and stay on the right track and realize that they are they are a part of they are a part of this then it becomes different and i think our individual rhetoric our individual language our individual actions need to change and reflect the idea that we can love our enemies that we can pray for those who come after us and who persecute us that we can love the people that jesus has called us to love because everyone knows how to love their brother their sister their friends the people they like uh, but it's Love is tested when you have to love the people that you don't want to love. You know, I think when you when you have that lack of awareness, which is something that we've we've talked about countless times on this podcast, um, it leads to and the and the best way I could say that is is when you don't do that, it leads to the comments that the Australian senator made. I don't know if you know. Um, mm. Again, I, I don't want to say his name. Just Google Australian senator. He's from Queensland. Um, he's the it's one who us. got egged. Senator I, I Fraser, know, uh, Fraser Anning, it's, Senator for Queens. Fraser Anning. I didn't want to say his name, but that's fine. Um, okay, I'll beep it out. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit all this out. Um, no, it's fine. It's fine. Like, I mean, you're going to Google. I, you can Google it anyway. But the point is, he made some incredibly, basically, this is, and I'm totally paraphrasing, but I'm not at all going off what he said. He basically said, well, the reasons why these people got shot is because of Muslims extremists. Like it's because we've allowed Muslim extremists into the country. That's why these people got shot. And it was victim blaming and victim shaming on a level that I find almost unprecedented, except that it it's all, you know, all victim shaming and victim blaming is the same. You're literally just blaming the victim, but I'm like, this guy this person, this this instrument of evil shot these people in a house of prayer and you turn around and say, well, it's because they were going to a house of prayer. Like, how dare they go to pray? They deserve to be shot. This is their yeah. fault. And rightly so. He's being, he's being, uh, uh, I mean, there's going to be sanctions. It looks like he may even lose his seat, um, which he good got on, on a Australia for saying this he, type of speech does not, has no place. Do you know that oh, he got he only 11 off? votes? No. Do you know that he only got 11 votes when he got, when he got voted? It, like he won on a technicality and I don't remember what the technicality is, but he like, is not technically I didn't know that. like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, he's yeah. Already so, he's someone so, who really shouldn't yeah, be there. Right, and there's just a ton of stuff that's coming up now. I thought he got off on a technical, like he didn't lose a seat. No, 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 no. They're, they're, saying... I mean, they're going to bring sanctions up against him, and rightly they should. Good for Australia. Um, but at the same time, I look at that and I just think <laughs> that's the type of self-awareness when all you think of is that's my enemy, that's my enemy, that's my enemy. They can be the object of my hatred, and I can think, yeah, it's deserved because that's my enemy. Anything bad that happens to them, it happens because they're my enemy, and I have every right to be grateful when bad things happen to them. And that concept is so contrary to what Christ has for us. And it's so contrary to the concept of forgiveness, because the truth is the only person who loses in that is the person who refuses to allow forgiveness into their heart, right? 
because hatred just comes from fear. And the truth is, if you're scared all the time, you're going to begin to hate anyone around you and everyone around you. And you're, and you, you don't realize you're living out of fear. Everything you do is reactionary from fear rather than positivity, rather than a place of healing. And God can't come in and heal you because you refuse to let go of that fear. I mean, here's the reality guys. I know that I'm speaking as a single guy who doesn't have a family, who doesn't have kids, who who has essentially no stake in this country. I don't have land. I don't own stocks in, you know, certain things. But if I truly believe that God is my protector and the author of my revenge, whom shall I fear? Right? If if I really believe that God is the angel armies, okay, then bring on, right? Because I'm going to love so hard that people I'm going to love so hard that people will love us more than Canada. That's what I want to get to. I want to get to the point where people, the way that they think of Canadians is the way that they think of Christians. That's the point I want. That's, that's where I want to get to. Right. Like when was the last time you like not to make a light out of that, but that's how, but that's right. Like that's the point. Like Canadians are known for politeness and they're known for like, right. That's what I want to get to where it's like, oh my goodness, thank goodness we had some Christians yep. around because otherwise we never would have gotten that car out of the, you know, out of the ditch. Thank goodness there were some Christians around because that shooter would have gone crazy if there hadn't been Christians there, right? Like that's what I want to get known for. If to if me we it's, are not- it's absurd, it begs credulity that it we are not. It is hooey that we are not the ones to take that first. Well, we should be the it. ones doing the haka first. You We're the ones exactly who should like be him. taking that stand. <laughs> it is hooey. Um, it, it's it's so, you know, to me, I just, we should be the first ones doing that. We should be the first ones on the front lines. And again, I'm not saying that they're not. I'm saying the people who are publicly taking a stand to defend them are not the Christians. I, um, I, I, I kind of want to. As we're wrapping this up, I want to close with with a reiteration of a point that we've made prior in this episode. Um, I want to read some of, uh, some of what Fraser Anning said. Um, I think it's important that we read this and understand this because the other side of this is ignoring this mindset is is is, a la- is exactly what allowed it to grow and fester in the shadows anyway. But. Um, what he says is, however, whilst this kind of violent vig- he he first condemned it, and then he said, however, whilst this kind of violent vigilantism can never be justified, what it highlights is the growing fear within our community, both in Australia and New Zealand, of the increasing Muslim presence. As always, left-wing politicians and the media will rush to claim that the causes of today's shootings lie with gun laws or those who hold nationalist views, but this is all cliched nonsense. The real cause of bloodshed on New Zealand streets today is the immigration immigration program, which allowed Muslim fanatics to migrate to New Zealand in the first place. I want to pause there because this is exactly what's going to happen. Anyone who feels any iota like him, anyone who can identify with any of that statement will go, wow, there's a guy who's standing up for how I feel. Or there's a guy who finally put language to uh, how I've been feeling about this kind of thing. And they're going to find people in comments. They're going to find people online. They're going to find people around them that are agreeing with these sentiments. And they're going to join them. And this is how that ideology spreads. If we are not just as loud, if not louder, than these kind of statements, then there is a significant problem. Because this, this now gets the highlight 
for the people who are most susceptible to to buying in. I mean, it 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 is it is scary to me um, to see just how quickly people will flock to this. Uh, how many people will say, "Wow, you know," in a they they apply the same kind of quote that we would apply to someone standing up for good, and they would say, you know, in a in an era of um, in an era of war or evil, speaking truth is an act of revolution, um, or is a revolutionary act. Um, quotes like that get attributed to um, to statements like this, and it's dangerous. And so, I actually want to make the call. I know a lot of the other Adventist podcasters listen to absurdity. And uh, anyone else who has a podcast, uh, if you uh, or pastors that are listening to this, um, if you're in the middle of a series or you're in the middle of a sermon series or, you know, episode series, whatever, uh, or even a season, I would just ask, um, take a break from that and do something. Uh, preach your next sermon or do your next podcast episode um, to be louder than this kind of voice. Um, use the platform that whatever platform you've been given to do something positive here um, and to drown out this kind of evil voice that, and um, I don't think Fraser Anning is an evil person. I think he's a mistaken person here. Um, but I would also call on you to then pray for people like him, uh, to pray for um, even the man who, the lone gunman, uh, even uh, praying for Muslim extremists or the people that that you might think are bad or evil or out to get you. Uh, the people that you might be even afraid of. Um, this is where your actions matter. This is where your rhetoric matters. And this is where your language and your treatment of people matters. So this is my call is, you know, if you have a platform, use it for good here in this specific instance. Uh, and if you are just an individual, there is no real platform, then your platform is your sphere of influence, your circle of friends and your family. Um, and I would encourage you to have positive conversations there. I don't know if Tony, if you want to add anything to that. So of all the people... <clears throat> to get my final kind of statement on this from, I would not think that Khloe Kardashian would be the one. But here we go. Well, this on is her, absurdity. Yeah. On her on her Instagram, I believe it's her Instagram story, she put up a shirt and it said, Love thy neighbor, love thy homeless neighbor, thy Muslim neighbor, thy black neighbor, thy gay neighbor, thy white neighbor, thy Jewish neighbor, thy Christian neighbor, thy atheist neighbor, thy racist neighbor, thy addicted neighbor. And uh, it's crazy to see how Twitter has reacted to that on, on both sides. W one side is like, what? Live a racist neighbor. Yeah, what's she doing? Ah, she's a traitor, blah, blah, blah. I think she's absolutely right. I don't know if she's the one who started it, but she has a big voice. Um, why is still mystifies me, uh, but she has a large voice and she's part of a family that has a large presence. And she put this out there. I believe that's absolutely correct. That is the yeah. statement. Love your neighbor. Everyone is your neighbor. The person that you look down upon is your neighbor, whether that's your old racist white neighbor, whether that's your old black neighbor, whether that's your young gay neighbor, whether that is whoever it is. You are called to love them. We are called to love them. Go do so in a practical, visceral um obvious public way go do that in the manner that you so choose but do it go love because that's the only way we're going to make a difference that's the only way yep. um especially as this world gets you know i believe from scripture that this world is going to get worse i don't think it's going to get better but we can that doesn't mean that we have to go with it that means we need to highlight the difference by being different 
by loving, by actually loving in a self-denying way. Yep. Uh, and, and just so everyone has a definition here, um, based on scripture and the, you know, I preached on this several times, but, uh, the, the definition I give for love is, um, is, uh, love is active participation in the well-being and restoration of the other, whoever the other is and, um, or of your neighbor. It, to be more on the nose here with this that's episode. A, that's a good one. Um, loving is is the is active participation in the well-being and restoration of your neighbor. And so um, the reason that I put it that way is it's not restoration or well-being to say to make them feel comfortable in whatever hateful views they have. It's to let them right, know that yeah, there's a loving exactly. community f- that they are loved and they, they there is a place for them outside of that hateful rhetoric. Um, outside of those hateful worldviews and and perspectives, and, and that there is a way of healing and transformation available to them. Yep, that still solves the problem, right? If they yeah. if the issue yeah. is if the issue yeah. is people killing or hurting, and they want to fight back, uh, loving people can absolutely be the solution to that. So, um, I just we can all I choose really to be Thanos, or we can all choose to be Jesus. And there's our nerd culture reference for the day. There it is. There it is. On um, so on that note, um, whether or not we shot ourselves in the foot with that last that last line or not, I don't know. You be the judge. Um, I love you, Tony. Um, thank you guys so much for listening to Absurdity. Uh, thank you for um, for your support all along the way. Um, know that we are in the middle of a giveaway. So if you are yes. uh, interested in winning a fifty dollar Amazon gift card. Uh, then go on to iTunes and leave a review, not just a rating, because I can't see who rates, but I can see who reviews. So make sure you leave a review, and about the middle of April, we'll do an announcement uh, for who has won that. It'll be through random drawing. I'll use it. I'll use a randomizer on the internet, so I don't choose it. Um, but yeah, $50 Amazon gift card if you just go and leave a review and a rating on on iTunes. But you can subscribe to us anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. Um, and you can follow us on Facebook and you can support us financially on uh, patreon.com slash absurdity podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.